Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to awaken to the truth of your soul? Welcome to today's episode of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show with your host, Nadia Khalil. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's show. Today is November 8th, 2019. It is Friday. Happy Friday. I love Fridays. And I have some questions today, some pretty tough ones. So I am going to get started. My first question today is, Nadia, I have a question for Friday, if time, and please, I would like to remain anonymous. I have a family member who has an addiction. He was sober for almost a year and recently went back to using drugs. I spoke to him from a place of love. I know it's an issue he needs to deal with, but it's so heartbreaking that his life has been consumed by drugs. When sober, he's an amazing soul. My question is, how can we help someone who doesn't want to help himself? How can we be Christ-like without enabling an addict? Much love your way, and thank you so much. Well, when you're dealing with an addict, and you are talking to them, what you don't really realize is that you're not talking to them. You are talking to an addiction that has more value to that person than anything else that they're doing, obviously, or they would not be in the position they are. I am going to do a show on addiction. It's amazing. Yesterday, I I literally bought a book just yesterday about the science of addiction because we have become addicted in our world more than we ever have been, whether, excuse me, whether it's to food, to alcohol, to drugs to gambling, to sex. It's like we have all these different kinds of addictions, but they all go back to one thing. And that is the inability to stop. When we treat an addiction and then people go back out into the world and the same triggers are there, it's not a mistake that they begin re-inviting that addiction back into their lives. The biggest help we can do for anybody on the face of this earth that is addicted to anything, at least from what I know so far, is that they have to want to stop. I know we do interventions and we send people and we we create all these different ways because we don't know how to reach them. But we have to be able, maybe when they're sober, to have the kind of conversation with them that is not accusing but says, hey, I know that you don't want this to control your life. And we can get help. But the kind of help we can get especially when we're dealing with a young life who's just overwhelmed and then they take whatever they take, everything kicks in, they're invincible, 
and they get to check out is dual diagnoses. Those treatments tend to help people more because they deal with the mental issue of why and how so that they can then address the addiction. The Just the singular diagnosis, sending you away for two weeks wasn't working, isn't working. People have gone five and six and ten times. Then the kind that keep you for three months, also unless they keep you in a non-drinking environment or a sober living situation, you will not stop. It's just a matter of time. And the time is usually until you get out. So all of these different ways of dealing just dealing with addictions are are learning, we're learning to be more refined. Because all addicts give value to the thing that they are addicted to. And that value is much higher than any other value you could propose to them. There is a movie, if anyone has a young child, there's a movie Julia Roberts did last year called Ben is Back. Her son was an opioid addict, and he showed up back at their home to prize visit at Christmas time. And it's a grueling movie to watch. It came out last year in December. And, you know, Christmas is all about happiness and fun. And it came out at the beginning of the Christmas season prior, like just a few days before Christmas. So it didn't get the kind of attention it would have gotten had January been its release date. Because in January, people tend to want to fix what isn't working as opposed to ignore or not have time to face what isn't working in December. But I would go revisit that movie and watch the struggle that it took for a brain to accept. They know they're an addict, but if they aren't part of wanting to solve their issue, they're willing to die over and above not taking the drug. It's a very difficult conversation to have. It has nothing to do with being Christ-like or not, it has nothing to do with being understanding or not, because all those ships have sailed when it comes to addiction. All of them. Every single one of them. All those ships have sailed. By the time the addiction is in play and something that the soul just goes back to over and over again, they've already found their solution. Their problem is getting it the cost of it, they're no longer, once the addiction has started, trusted by anybody because they will steal from you. Yes, they will. They will take everything from you. They will continuously ask for money. But there is something that they're doing now because we are getting smarter because now addiction is I want to say a huge part of our environment is that addicts can benefit from cognitive reframing, which is why the dual diagnoses treatment centers are really valuable. 
we are finally to the point where on a public level we're saying, hey, you know what, we got to deal with what's going on in this person's head. And why can't they stop? I've seen mothers abandon their children for drugs because they themselves don't want to stop. They can't. Addiction is such an individualized yet stereotyped, I want to say, wise of what they will do, yet it's individual to each person on how they are going to recover. And it's a struggle every day. And it is a disease. And I know they develop like methadone for people who do heroin. And I know a woman who was on opioids and she would overtake her pills. She was getting them prescribed. So at the end of every month, she would run out of pills. So what that meant was at the end of every month, once she couldn't get away with tricking the drug stores and having multiple locations of where she would get the drug to say, oh, she ran out or she lost some pills. Can she have her three-day supply or whatever that was she was pulling off? Stopped working when the drugging network communicated. So what happened is every month she either ended up in the hospital and suffered horrible, still suffers horrible, horrible withdrawals. So they replaced her opioids with methadone to get her off of the opioids and she was back in the hospital last week to replace what was going on with the opioids she started drinking and doing the methadone so there's this crazy like a fat way of getting what they need when they need it It would surprise anyone who knew them where they actually went for it or how they got it, where they got the money for it, what they sold for it. So it's not at this point, you know, beautiful words, loving words, support is going to fall on deaf ears unless that person can be taken and put in a dual diagnosis type situation because if the problem isn't solved all the way to the bottom, if replacement lifestyles are not put in place, the free framing of the thinking patterns is not taking place, when the person comes out, they don't have another plan. And when there's not another plan, then that is the plan. The family can only support them so much, but families get totally blindsided by believing they're supporting someone who just got better at hiding it. Because when you are not addicted to something or even an addictive personality type, just because you did everything right and and made everything comfortable and tried to give that person nothing to worry about so that they can be okay, It doesn't fix it. 
if that fixed it, there would be no addiction. And they, when sober, you may want to talk to them. And they may listen to you. And they may even agree with you. They may hope to God they never do it again. But then they do. And you can't believe it. And then you feel like they betrayed you when really you just watched someone betray themselves. People would give themselves too much credit to believe that they are ever enabling an addict. An addict is going to do what they are going to do with or without you. And I hate to say it this way, but as much as they love their family, they love the addiction of life that they have, whatever addiction it is, way more. Way more. But I am going to do a show about addiction because what I want to talk about is where it originated, like, you know, what part of it is genetics? Because 40 to 60% of genetics play a role in the vulnerability to addiction, even though there hasn't been a gene that has been found or ever will be found that can be pinpointed as the cause of addiction. That's just not how genetics work. But when we have these I want to say repetitive behaviors that there tends to be some common things in those people. It starts out as an escape that becomes out a way of life for those people. Some people can have a drink here and there. Others, if they have one, they're gone. And others, if they have one, they're back in the game of alcoholism. So that's why I say the person who is suffering from the addiction, and they are suffering, they lost their lives as they knew them and know them, have to be the ones to want their life back. Those are the most successful stories of anybody's stories that I have ever heard. The good news to this question is, this person's age. He's young enough for it not to have been in his life longer than his half of his lifetime. And there is going back in the fork in the road for younger people because a lot of older people I know will say, I go to AA meetings till now and they're in the middle 30s because of a 17-year-old who had an addiction, which was them. 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old, somewhere in there. Because for them, it was like, wow, that was a bad scene. I don't want to do that again. I hated the way that made me feel. And they stay around other people for support for the rest of their lives, as far as their ages that I know them to be at now. 
but they stay around other people who are fighting the same thing because no one else is going to understand how far-reaching addiction is because you're dealing with a mental state of mind, a behavior, as well as a physical need after a certain point to feel just normal because they're always chasing that first high. But once you're addicted, you're just taking it to take it. It's not doing anything for you, but your body is telling you, I need it. And by the way, this is also compared to sugar and to, you know, we're hurting ourselves with that. And and the food addiction part was, I thought, the most fascinating because no one looks at it that way. But when I do this show talking about treating the disease, it's, you know, whatever their compulsion is, it long ago stopped being fun. It just isn't fun anymore. Detox is horrible to go through, yet it's the initial road to stability. And then they got to diagnose you and see, okay, hey, what's going on? And talk to you and figure out, okay, how can we help this person reframe their thinking to see what they are doing? And then you have a treatment plan with a trained specialist who applies their therapies and goals for recovery. And then you have to go into the ongoing peer support and accountability. And then comes family support. And if you see that, Family support is last. Family support is last. Because when they started, they were in those families. So that family, in a weird way, is a trigger. Whether it's a mother's family with her husband and children or a father's family with his wife and children, or it's a teenager with his parents or her parents. But while the person is going through this, the family needs to be educated on the realities of addiction so that in that person's re-entry back into the environment they were in when they started, the compulsion to want to fall into old shoes will be or will have been rerouted by then. So really think about that because none of the approaches are easy. None are certain to work, which is also in itself feels defeating, but all take a lifetime commitment of remaining in control of those urges that are just training to break free. And what we tell people who are struggling with addiction right now is that you can recover. Don't give up. Treatment works but it doesn't cure it. It works, but it doesn't cure it. Like diabetes, you can cure, you can eat right, you can change it. But just knowing you can't cure it allows you that mental framework to believe that, okay, I have to just deal with this every day, but let me find a way to deal with it so that I do deal with it. Because not dealing with it means I'm going to fall right back where I was, and I really don't want to. Because an addicted person's compulsions, like driving a car without brakes, you know, you have no two addictions that are identical, 
nor any two treatments, yet all the people in recovery share the same treatment protocols and the family is last. And when families realize that, they can go get outside help. But you're not going to change an addict by having a talk with them. You definitely will not by supporting them because to them, there is no support. The only thing that's supporting them is the drug. But I would, if I were the parent, watch Julia Roberts' movie just because you want to see and feel like you're not alone with the addiction. And they did a lot of research to do that movie on how she was dealing with it and how little help she actually had or felt she had. But learning to understand the different kinds of diagnoses and treatments, looking into dual diagnosis and treatment centers, they're not as common as the 30-day come-in and come-out centers. Having empathy, I know this this isn't who you want to be. I'm sorry that this is who you are right now. And the best thing we can do for you is to get you help outside of the family. And that's all I have for now. Although I will do a show on addiction, I am definitely reading up on it because I'm, I'm dealing with people, friends who've hurt their families deeply, hurt their children, almost killed their children while on the drug of choice or for the drug of choice. It's a very serious topic, very a sign of our times, not an easy road at all. And as of today, There is not a pill that they can give you that's curable. However, there is a book, and I'll get the name of it. There's um, a man I know, Reverend Terry, who told me there was a drug that they can give someone. And I can't remember the name of the book. I may have written it down, but when I do the show on addiction, I will include that. Um, That helps if it's alcohol. It's now specific to that, that can help reverse that craving for it. Um, And I don't know, that sounds like a miracle to me. I have to read the book because I will not do this show lightly. This is something that people really need a concrete, I want to just say system to follow because it's just such an issue to deal with a third person, you, the person, and then the drug. And this goes for gambling. Again, it goes for food. It's like, you know, how could your stomach take in all that food? Like you eat something and you're like, oh, my God, you'd think the person would be full for a week from it. And they're like, oh, I need more and I need more and I need more. And it just chases them down as they're chasing it down. So I, I don't know how much I answered your question, but I did want to give you two resources to follow or to learn about. One was the dual diagnosis, two was the movie for now. And also to understand the family's role and why they're not able to listen to the family. And in the treatment protocol, the family is the last to be involved. 
And a lot of times they take you away from your family and don't even let you talk to them. Not because families are good or bad, but you went from not using to using while in the family. So when you go back, all the triggers are there. So I hope that helps for right now. And we'll talk about this um, as soon as I have enough information about what's going on in this that world. But that's, you know, a, a huge emotional hijacking of that person. And if you could look at addiction as like physical ego, you know, take me, take me. Great entrance plan, no exit plan, right? It's it's a very difficult situation. There isn't anything like it that we have. And it's easy to ignore because people look at addictions as unattractive. They look at them very fearfully. And that's all because we just don't really have a protocol that we all know about yet. But it's starting to be more known where we say, oh, okay, they go to rehab and this is what they do in rehab. And then when they come out, they have to do this. And, you know, we're starting to see that form, but it hasn't completely formed yet. So I'm sorry about that situation. And we'll talk about it in further detail soon. I have another question from Chris Kip Woods. Hi, Nadia. I have a question. I was walking in town and walked over a print on the footpath that said, elephant in the room. I know it's a message for, but can't get it. What do you think? Well, if you found that on an outdoor walking path, everyone's getting that message. But elephant in the room means what are we not talking about? We're talking about everything these days. But what are we not talking about? I was just thinking this morning, you know, because with all the political stuff that's going on in America right now, it's every day in the news, and it's become a circus. It literally is a circus with a bunch of different animals running around all the time, but nobody's in a cage yet, right? So we're, we're listening to this, and, and I'm fascinated just by the process. I'm fascinated by how people are dealing with it, how they answer, how they contradict themselves, how they don't contradict themselves, who fights for what they believe, who doesn't, how does that look? All of that is in my world right now because I'm fascinated with the human behavior behind it. Whatever it is is what it is, but the human behavior, how people look into a camera, how people talk to each other, how they react to each other, how they even call each other names. I mean, we're, we're going through the entire rainbow of possibilities. And yet the elephant in the room is that nobody cares about what the truth is. It's how well you can defend your position, which is something we talked about the other day. That it's not about the truth. It's how clever the attorneys are or the people who are running away or the people who are running to the issue. So it's been quite fascinating to see that nobody's talking about the emotionality of all of this. Like, what can make someone say that or do that? It's starting to come out here and there where people are using more direct language and not trying to dance around the way they are describing things or talking about them. However, the big elephant in the room is that just flat out wasn't true, period. It either is or it isn't. It's like you're either pregnant or you're not. Very interesting. 
So whatever the elephant in the room is, is maybe, you know, what are you not addressing? What are you not talking about to yourself? What am I not facing in my life? What's in the back corner of my mind that I want to do or be or feel that I haven't gotten to yet? Because it's obviously time to get to those things. So try that one out. I have another question, and I think I only have like a minute and 30 seconds to answer it. But what is the meaning of love? I know the answer to this, but would take like your take on it. Thank you. The meaning of love. Okay. Love is an energy. We call it love. From seeing Christ, all I think of it is pure energy. It's the only propelling energy that we have. There is no energy stronger than love. And even with addiction, if the person can access that love for themselves, they will not want to harm themselves. So one thing I want to say with um, the elephant in the room and love and this addiction, just in a really weird way to tie that all together, is that I believe we should have an elected official as part of any political system that actually only pays attention to the human element of the decisions that are made. That, okay, we're going to make this decision, but what is the human element of that decision? And how will it affect people? And what should we expect? It's about time for that. My time is up, though. I can't believe these half hours go by so fast. Have a great day. We'll see you guys Monday morning. Bye-bye. You have been listening to today's Daily Dose of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show. To learn more, visit www.nadiakhalil.com.